All right, let's go ahead and pray over the word. I'd really appreciate you all agree with me about this. So, Lord, we pray tonight. We love your word. Of course, we love your presence. We love worship. We love being here in your house and being with you. But, Lord, we love, we love your word. We honor your word. And we need your word. And I pray tonight, this is the word of the Lord for tonight. This is what you're speaking tonight. And so, Lord, I ask you to come upon me and speak through me, Lord, everything that needs to be spoken. That there will be nothing that will be forgotten or anything. Everything will come forth the way it needs to. And, Lord, just like in the scriptures, the parable of the seed and the sower, Lord, that this will go out as living seeds of truth. That's sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, we ask you to breathe your life into this word. And let the Holy Spirit, like a gentle rain, come over that seed in people and cause it to really take root in people, take and uh, grow and produce that, that harvest in them, inside. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have hearts and minds that are in tune to what you're speaking that we're not going to be distracted or anything like that but really we're able to give you our best and our focus and lord that you would anoint our eyes and ears give us eyes and ears of the spirit and lord i pray the wind of your spirit will carry this sermon everywhere it's supposed to go that your holy angels watch over it we bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word um you will not steal the seed in jesus name we bind the demonic realm you will back off and go from this word in jesus name we bind you now. And Lord, I pray this will go forth. It will cut through and go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We'll bring revelation through this. We commit it to you. We believe in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to talk about cleansing streams. I'm talking a lot about sexual purity, and I'll get to that toward the end of the sermon. And I want to go ahead and say this at some point in the sermon. Might as well say it now. But at the end of this sermon, when it's dealing with... Um, like the cistern and the well and the fountain, and then it gets into stolen waters. A lot of that stuff I drew out of a book I really recommend. It's by John Kilpatrick called When the Heavens Are Brass. So if you've never read that, I encourage you to read that book. It's excellent. I believe it will really be life-changing. But I did draw a lot of that information from there, so I want to give him credit for that. But anyway, I want to go ahead and preach this word. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image and likeness. And so, when you break this down, this is important to kind of lay some groundwork where we're going. When you break this down, it says, let us make. The word there is asa in Hebrew. And it means to build or fashion from something. So this would be kind of like a potter who takes the, the clay, it's wet, and it's, it's like mud, and he'll take that and he'll put it on the potter's wheel, and then he begins to form it and fashion it the way he wants it to go. And so God has created man out of the dust of the earth. And, you know, we were made from the dust, and when we die, our bodies are going to go back to the dust. And so that's the outer shell, that's the physical body that God made, okay? And then also, it went on to say I'm, that let us make man, and here's the two words, in our image, in our likeness. So it's really interesting because the image has to do with the inner spirit. How many of you guys know that one of these days your body is going to die, but your inner spirit will live eternally? You could not stop existing if you want to. You can't. You're going to go on living eternally one way or another. You're either going to be in heaven with God or hell with the devil, but you're going to live eternally. Your inner being is eternal. And so your spirit man is made in the image of God. Your inner spirit looks like your physical body, but it's a spiritual body. And this is, your inner spirit is where the Holy Spirit dwells. When you become a Christian and you're born again, it's the inner spirit that is made alive. The Holy Spirit comes to live in your spirit. And the inner spirit area is also how you commune with God because you sense His presence. And when He speaks to you, it's from, that, from your spirit that you get that revelation. And see, when Adam sinned, he died in this way. God told him, the day that you eat of this, you'll die. You'll surely die. 
A lot of people think, well, he lived like 900 years or something. Well, yeah, but he died spiritually that day. So the first thing that happened was with Adam was his inner spirit man was cut off from God's presence to a very large degree. And his inner spirit experienced like a, a death of sorts. Because when you're separated from God, that's a, a, a death. Okay, That's why the Bible calls hell the second death, because you're eternally separated from God. Does that make sense? So Adam experienced death in his spirit, and then he began to experience death after that in his soul area, and then ultimately his physical body expired. And when you become a Christian, what God is wanting to do, he's wanting to begin to help reverse a lot of this, even though your body is still going to die, that God wants your spirit to come alive. That's the first thing. But then the next thing that needs to happen is that your soul area begins to experience the life of God and be renewed. And to be honest, the Spirit of God, the Bible says the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and gives life to your body. So even though your body still will age and die because it's under a curse, there can still be a a supernatural life surging through your body uh, while we're here. Okay. So God created us in His image and His likeness. The likeness has to do with the soul. We're to rule with authority the way God rules with authority. And our soul area is made in the likeness of God. Like God, our soul area has a memory where you can remember things and you can remember hopefully the good. I encourage people to don't dwell on the past and dwell on the bad. But just like David, David remembered the lion and the bear. Remember that? And he looked at the giant and he said, I'm going to cut this guy's head off because God gave me the victory of the lion and the bear. God wants our memory to be like that, where you remember the victories of the Lord. Your soul area has a mind where you learn and you understand things. God wants that mind to be renewed and be thinking on good things. He doesn't want our minds dwelling on negative or evil. We have to be careful with that. Because Satan's kingdom will try to even shoot darts into your mind. But your mind needs to be renewed. It does not need to be dwelling on fearful things, lustful things, bitter thoughts. Where you're always thinking about somebody that wronged you. You don't need to do that. It doesn't need to be thinking about anything evil or perverted. It needs to be thinking on the things of God. So your mind needs to be renewed. What happens is that the life of God that's in your spirit as you meditate on God's word and as you renew your mind the life of God begins to go into your soul and God will help you renew your mind but also God's given you an imagination and this is probably what differentiates humanity from not only the animals but also the angels because God has given us an imagination in Satan's kingdom as far as the demonic like the fallen angels they don't have they're not made in the likeness of God okay They don't have that creative nature. But God has given humanity an imagination where we can imagine things and create things. Think of all the amazing things that have been created by mankind. I mean, we can fly. I mean, I could go on and on, but you guys know what I'm talking about. And that's why when you see Satan's kingdom, he doesn't really come up with anything new. He just perverts the things of God because he doesn't have that creative ability. So God created us with an imagination where he wants our imagination to be sanctified. He doesn't want images in your mind. Everybody close your eyes for a second. Just close your eyes. Red apple. Okay, you just saw red apple. All right, that is your imagination. But God wants your imagination to be holy. He doesn't want you seeing things that are fearful or lustful or violent or evil all the time dwelling in your imagination. What God wants us to also is that when you imagine the future, that you're imagining good in your future. That you're not... See, here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to always be remembering something bad that happened in your past, thinking pessimistic, negative thoughts, and then when you look at your future, you see bad's going to befall you. That's not the way God wants you to live. That's a tormented life. God wants you to remember the good, think on the good, and imagine good in your future. And so, also, this is the realm, the soul area is where your personality is. It helps make you who you are. Your soul is where you make decisions. 
And your soul also has to do with your heart, your emotions. So this part of you, the soul area, is an area that has to be renewed where God by the Holy Spirit will help you that your emotions become disciplined. See, a strong soul is a disciplined soul. Where before you were a Christian, maybe you flew off the handle and you'd blow up in a rage and lose your temper all the time. Now that you're a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit will help you to keep your emotions harnessed. And this soul is being renewed, and this is in the likeness of God. It's, uh, you know, God wants us to, it's sad because the fall, it's been so marred by sin. But God is wanting his likeness to become part of our soul again. Because originally that's how we were created, in his likeness. So, the soul of humanity... When we become a Christian, God is wanting that our spirit area is like the king. The soul is the servant and the body is the slave. But see, God puts the emphasis in Timothy. It says, Paul said this, I pray that you be sanctified throughout your spirit, soul, and body. To be kept pure and blameless till the coming of the Lord. So the emphasis God puts is spirit first, then soul, and last body. But it's interesting because the world does the opposite. The world puts the emphasis on the body. And then the soul area, what's going to make me feel good. But they don't put any emphasis on the spirit. Unless it's weird. Maybe like new age or something like that. So your body... Is made from the dirt. It's a temple that houses your spirit and soul. Your body is under a curse because of Adam. When Adam partook of that fruit and he ate it, he ate it with his physical body. And a curse came into the physical body and we all have reaped that consequence. I believe that's why fasting is so powerful. Because as you fast, Adam ate something he wasn't supposed to eat. But fasting is where you don't eat something that's permissible. So you're doing the exact opposite, and it seems to help bring your body under subjection. And there's something very powerful about fasting. And when God created Adam and Eve, Eve was taken out of his rib cage and was created. And I know many have probably heard this example, but it's the truth. When God brings together a husband and a wife, the wife, like the rib cage, protects the heart. The wife needs to be a protector of the husband's heart. She needs to build him up and encourage him. I've heard it said, and it may be true in many cases, that behind every great man is a is a great woman that you know was a strength to him. That's probably true most of the time. But men need that. They need somebody that's going to guard their heart. And a wife, because of the closeness in the relationship, the wife has the ability to really encourage and build up that man to where he could achieve greatness and he can be a great spiritual leader to her and her family. But she also has the propensity to ruin him. She has the propensity to break his heart and so damage him psychologically and emotionally that it would take an act of God to heal him. But God has called a woman to be a protector of a husband's heart. Okay? And when God saw Adam and Eve and he created them in Genesis 5, 1, you know, the Bible says the two become one. A lot of people, you ought to look this up and read it. God called them Adam. After the fall, Adam named her Eve. But God called them Adam. In God's mind, they were one. I believe God has somebody specifically for you. Y'all hear me? You really need to pray and hear from God about it. Because the person that you choose to marry outside of the fact of you accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is probably the most significant decision that you're going to make in life. This person can be a great asset to you, a great strength to you, or they could really pull you down. And you need to make sure that you pray and hear from God. And you need to spend some time getting to know them. Because I'm going to deal with some things here in a moment that has, um, talks about defilement. And you really need to make sure what you're becoming one with.
men need the encouragement and the building up that a wife can give. They really do. They need that. And women need security from their husband. They need to know that their husband is faithful to them. They need to know that he loves them. And they also need to know that he's going to protect them. God has called the woman to guard the man's heart and to build him up and love on him, but God's called the man to be the protector and the provider. And the Bible says if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. And so a husband is to provide and protect that wife and those children. And that's spiritually, but that's also physically. You always say this, uh, I've said many times, it's just the truth. But, you know, when Brianna was living back home, and obviously my wife, if somebody came in to, uh, I live in Texas, so I have guns, and I'm okay with that. I'm sure you are too. But if they, if they, somebody came in to, to rape and kill my family, they may walk in, but they would be carried out. It's just the way it is. So God's called us to be a protector of the family. All right. All right. So now I'm going to move into what defiles God's temple. God has created us in his image and likeness. First Corinthians 317. If any man defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. So your temple, your body, is supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and it's supposed to be very holy. Set apart. Remember, holy means set apart from the ordinary. You're no longer like the people of this world. You're now God's child and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I think that sometimes we grow up around Christianity and we don't really realize how radical of a thing that actually is. The early church, like Paul and them, they had known the physical temple or, you know, previously they read about the tabernacle of Moses and they knew that God dwelled, his Shekinah, his dwelling presence was in that tabernacle. And so the concept now, after the day of Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit of God would come live inside of you, that blew them away. And that's why Paul talked about the fact that we are a living sacrifice and that we're to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God and and, and we're to be a holy temple and to to guard that and and it says right here in this New Testament scripture, if you defile God's temple, God will destroy you so here are some things there are certain things that will defile the physical body, I believe that substance abuse I believe that it does defile. I've prayed for people over the years that have, you know, had an addiction maybe to cigarettes or or an addiction to alcohol or they were doing drugs. And there was a defilement there. And I would pray for them. And, and many times you would feel the power of that thing break and maybe even a spirit leave them. That was like a Romans, I believe, 8 talks about a spirit of bondage. And some kind of an addictive type spirit was there. And they were delivered. And... Their temple, though, had been defiled by that. But that's more of in the physical realm. But there are certain sins in the Bible that can defile... Y'all hear me with this. There are certain sins in the Bible that can defile your spirit, your soul, and your body. All three. But not every sin does. Like, for example, if somebody's looking at pornography, that's a sin, but it defiles their mind. See what I'm saying? But these are the sins. When you get into sexual sins, you can include pornography in this. But when you get into sexual sins, so let's define what sexual sins are. Anything in the Bible, the Bible's clear, anything that is sexual outside of a husband and wife in the marriage bed is sexual sins. So the only only sex that God permits in the scriptures is between a husband and wife in the marriage bed. But the, but the Lord says that marriage is holy unto him and, and um, sex in marriage is holy. It's set apart. It's holy unto him. But any other sexual activity, when people what people don't understand is this. When they go out and they're sleeping around, 
they really don't understand what they're doing because not only are they defiling their body, but they are defiling their soul. Literally, the two become one. The Bible says that. So even though you may indiscriminately be sleeping around with different people, you're still becoming one with those people. And so what's in their life is now attaching itself to your life, spiritually. And part of that soul area is being knitted together with this person. You're losing part of yourself into them. They're, they're losing part of themselves into you. There's some kind of a soul. People call it a soul tie, but there's a union. The two becoming one that's happening. It's not just physical coming together and becoming one. It's a soulish thing too. And also, it's like people with their inner spirit man... It's like during that time, your inner spirit man is somewhat opened up and there can be a defilement there in your spirit too. And there's been many times, many, many times that in sexual sins, people pick up not only physical illness, but they pick up from the demonic realm defilement and spirits that have trafficked because they're in sexual sin into their life. And so this is a sin. Sexual sin is very serious. This is a sin that can defile your spirit, your soul, and your body. And when people come to us that have been, the Bible calls it lascivious, okay, where they've, they've lived in sexual immorality, you can tell there's a lot of defilement there. And even though you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven, you're born again, you're on your way to heaven, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of that is taken care of. You need to take time and pray about that. That's what I was saying earlier about when you get betrothed to be married and you're in this engagement period or whatever, and you need to take time that you are looking into their life, they're looking into your life, and you need to know what's in their family. You know, was their grandmother a witch? Was their father a Muslim? You know, was there, what's in their family? Do they have tendencies in that whole family line to... Uh, towards certain strange things? Do, are they, have they been real sexually active in their past? You need to know about this because when you get married and you come into that marriage bed, even though in Christ marriage is holy and that marriage bed is holy, even though that is the case, you're still becoming one with this person. And if they have a bunch of baggage, you're still intermingling in that baggage. So you need to have time before marriage and before that marriage is consummated, that you go through, you know, we have in our ministry, it was called a deliverance questionnaire. People just go through it. But you need to take time to go through that. And those of you that are single, when you meet somebody, you feel that it's God, you need to make them do it. They need, you need to hold them to it. They need to go through a cleansing spiritually and make sure there's nothing in their life that they're, they're going to bring into your life. It's important. So the two become one. And it can defile, when people are in sexual sin, it can defile their spirit. It, it begins to mess with the soul area. All these people are sleeping around. They're losing part of themselves and all these different people. And how much that affects them. See, in marriage, the way God created it to be, you lose part of yourself and your spouse and they lose part of themselves and you. That's part of the process of the two becoming one. But you get it back in the relationship. It just makes you closer. It just makes you one. That's why when God saw Adam and Eve, he called him Adam. He saw him one. That's the way God wants it to be. Another thing that can defile spirit, soul, and body is idolatry and the occult. When you're dealing with the worship of other gods, you're dealing with Freemasonry, you're dealing with witchcraft, the occult, these things can really defile a person's spirit it can defile a person's soul and it can defile their physical bodies and this is something people really need to pray about and before you get married you really need to look into this is this in your background is this in your family's background is this in their background you need to pray about it because i've seen with my eyes i have seen people that were not involved in the occult but their family was, and I saw them with my eyes. I saw it, that they needed deliverance from the demonic. They didn't do it. Their family did. But they are affected by it. 
I've seen it. I've seen demons leave people and stuff that they did not do that. Their grandmother was a witch or something. And they had to get that out of their life. And so you're dealing with generational stuff there as well. And then also shedding blood. This is another one. The Bible talks about, you know, in uh, Christianity, the Bible says to clearly, in Acts chapter 15, stay away from blood. You're not supposed to be participating. I know this is gross, but there's people out there doing this stuff, okay? But rituals that involve bloodshedding in Satan's kingdom where people are cutting themselves or they're, they're doing other things with blood, they're eating blood, all of that. Whatever they're doing with blood rituals, that defiles their spirit, their soul, and their body. So those are the three things. And that's why you see that so prevalent throughout history. You look up not only Satanism, but you look up, go back to the pagan temples of times past, and you'll see that they had blood rituals. They had prostitutes in that temple where there was sexual immorality going on. And, of course, they had worship to those demon gods. And all three of those things, Satan knows that those three things, if he can get people to do those, that they are defiling their spirit, their soul, and their body. And it is causing them to really be separated and distanced from God. And it, it oppresses their life, and it gives Satan legal ground to begin to torment their life. You even see that today in Islam. You know, not only with blowing up people for Allah, you know, that's obviously human sacrifice to him, but also there's weird rituals that Muslims do where they get worked up in a frenzy in a crowd and they begin to cut themselves with swords across their head and stuff. It's just bizarre, you know. But they're shedding blood and they're worshiping this, this demon god. And, of course, it's, uh, it's very sexually immoral. They're all about raping women. So, is this making sense today? All right. So I'm wanting to deal with this because I want people to really be cleansed. I, I realize in this particular group, we're probably not dealing with a lot of the blood and we're probably not dealing with a lot of the witchcraft and the occult because those that have that in their past, you've already prayed a lot about that. But I really want to focus a lot on the sexual. See, this really opens people up to a lot of defilement and a lot of satanic bondage. And God wants us free. Let me show you something. In John 5, 14... It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. This was a man that was healed. And Jesus told him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse will happen to you. Now, not all sickness comes on because of sin. Okay, I know that sometimes sickness comes on for different reasons. But there are times that people have done things in their past and they've defiled themselves in their spirit, soul, and body or whatever they've defiled themselves. And so therefore, some kind of a sickness, some kind of a uh, disease or whatever can begin to cleave to their life. And the Lord wants to set them free from it. How many of you guys know when Jesus paid for it at the cross, um, our sin, he also paid for sickness, he also paid for deliverance. He paid for it in full. And so God is wanting us to be completely set free from this stuff. But people have to press into Jesus to get that. The thing is that everything is received by faith. We've received Christ as our Savior by faith. We've received a born-again experience by faith. But we also have to receive healing by faith. And we also have to receive deliverance by faith. And the problem is a lot of times people believe and they pray for a time. And they don't get their breakthrough so they pretty much make up their mind this is just the way it is and they get comfortable with it and they settle there. And so that's the way the rest of their life is. But if they would really keep going after Jesus, show me, what is the doorway? Why is this here? Is there something I'm not discerning? How did this happen? If you'll show me what I need to do, how I need to pray, God many times will give keys that will unlock miracles. But too many people settle. It's very common here in the States. They just get comfortable and settle in something. All right. But God told Israel, he said, I will not allow the sicknesses of the Egyptians to come upon you. And you remember, Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And this man named Naaman came to Elisha. Naaman was a great man, but he was a leper. 
And he came to Elisha and he said, I need to be healed of this. Elisha told him, go dip in the Jordan. He went and dipped in Jordan. He came back. He was healed. And he offered Elisha a bunch of money. And Elisha said, I don't want your money. And so he left. And Gehazi waited till Elisha went in another room or whatever. And he goes running after Naaman and wanted that money. <clears throat> the love of money. Anyway, he went and hid the money. But when he got back, Elisha said, Was not my soul with you whenever you chased after Naaman for his money? And he said, Therefore, the leprosy that was on Naaman will now cleave to you. And Gehazi became leprous, and you never read anything else about him in the Scripture. I'm sure he went to live in a leper colony and died. But it's sad because he could have been Elisha's successor had he had dealt with that love of money in his heart. So let me read some things about sexual purity and then I'm going to give some warnings and I'm going to pray for people. I believe God is wanting to really deeply consecrate people. This is something that's very dear to my heart and very important to me. I grew up in church and I've seen people that have accepted Christ as their Savior, but they lived a defeated life their whole life. I've seen it many, many times in many different ways. They never got the victory. And so my heart as a pastor is to see people get a breakthrough into their victory. If they've been struggling with the same sin over and over, how do they get breakthrough and get the victory? If they've been struggling um, with some kind of an addiction, how do they get beyond that? Whatever it is, that they get on the other side of it. And one of the ways this is going to happen is through being deeply consecrated unto God. This is not just accepting Jesus as your Savior. This is where... You know, I talk about that deliverance questionnaire, but this is where people really get serious with God and they list the things in their life and in their family that they see in their bloodline. They really sincerely pray and they let God begin to really deeply consecrate them and separate that stuff from their life and uh, totally set them free. There is a total freedom that can come. And also, before I get into this, let me say something too. People have been so wounded in life. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't have a loving father that you know affirmed them, and they they felt like a failure because of it. Maybe they were abused by their mother. Maybe they were molested at one time or raped, or maybe they've been through a painful divorce in life where their spouse cheated on them and left them. And whatever it is, they've been really emotionally and psychologically wounded and damaged to where God needs to go in there and heal that soul area. And until God heals their soul, literally their physical health can be very much affected by that. Their relationships with other people can be very much affected because they perceive things as rejection. They perceive things a certain way. They take things the wrong way. And they also respond the wrong way because it's out of a hurt in them. Even their prosperity in life can be affected because it affects their quality of work. It affects how productive they can be on their job. And God is wanting to heal these deep wounds in people. What did Jesus say? He said, I've come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. And so God is wanting to cleanse. If you've been a part of things in your past that you feel have defiled your spirit, defiled your soul, you've been through some trauma in life that you feel that there's a brokenness in you, the Lord is wanting to deliver you. He's wanting to heal you. He's wanting to consecrate you unto Him. It may not be overnight. It may be a bit of a process. But He's wanting to do it. And He's the only one that can do it. You know, there's people that go to psychiatrists for years, but they never really get healed. It's just like putting a Band-Aid. It's just therapeutic to go in there and be able to talk about their pain. But they're not healed. There's a difference. They're not whole. God wants to make us whole. And so tonight, I believe with all my heart, I feel very strongly in River of Life. Um, you can take this as I feel like this is prophetic. I feel like God has shown me this. That God is going to begin to really heal people in this area, in River of Life. And when he does this, I believe it's really going to open some things up for this ministry. There's been some people that have been really hurt and insecure. And maybe it's been that way most of your life and you don't even really realize it. You've just kind of learned to cope with life the way it is. Also, maybe some defilement there. 
but God's wanting to cleanse you and heal you. And I believe that's the next move of the Holy Spirit in River of Life is going to have a lot to do with that. But let me read you some things about sexual purity. Because I'm going to tell you, when revival comes, don't think that Satan won't attack revival. Don't think that Satan won't attack the people in revival. Take it seriously. Don't ever take Satan lightly. I've been in this thing long enough now when I hear certain preachers make statements about trying to talk about the devil. He's an idiot and he doesn't, he's just totally powerless. And I'm thinking, you've never been through any real warfare. The enemy is not an idiot and the enemy is not completely powerless. It's just greater is he that's in me than him. And Jesus paid for my victory and I'm under the blood and I have armor and I have weapons and I'm going to win because Jesus gave me the victory. But you don't, you, don't beli- you don't take light your enemy. Anybody that's ever played sports knows you don't take light the next game. If you're sitting around eating pizza and joking around thinking all oh, these guys are a bunch of losers, they could be a far inferior team, but they will whip you the next time you play them because you joked around and took it light, and they're out there working their, their heart out, getting ready for that game while you're sitting around joking and making fun of them. All right, so here's some things about sexual purity because when revival comes, just remember how Moses brought the children of Israel out. This would be a great revival, wouldn't you agree? Signs and wonders. I mean, this was amazing what God did. Most of us cannot say that we've seen that level of those type of miracles coming down on an entire nation. (laughs) Okay, and... They come out with signs and wonders, great revival, but it's not long till they're dancing around a golden calf naked and they're acting like the heathen that God just brought them away from in their pagan temples. And David, this wasn't nothing short of great revival. David comes into the kingdom. He takes Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He begins to subdue the Philistines. God gave him great victories, great victories. He brings the ark of God into Jerusalem. This would be great revival. But then you read about David looking at a naked woman, taking a bath. Next thing you know, he's in sexual immorality. So Satan knows that this this area of sexual attack has been very effective in the past with a lot of Christians. There's a lot of people out there that are not sexually pure that go to churches. Are you all hearing me? They're not sexually pure. And the devil has got a hook in them somewhere. And because of that, there's a defilement and there's, there's activity in their life that's not of God. I'm not talking about just sin. I mean even the demonic. And it's because they've opened themselves up to this. So let me read this. Sexual purity. Sex is very holy and pure before God. It was created by God. A sacred thing for the marriage bed only. It is an act of love and trust. And through this brings forth godly offspring into the world. When we violate this though. When we violate God's plan. Okay. We violate God's plan for our lives. Be sure that you're fixing yourself up for your spouse. Let me say something real quick. You know when you get married one day. Don't ever forget this. Especially ladies. Because most guys don't care that much about their appearance. Okay. I'm not shooting this anybody. It's just the truth. So, you know, I spend so much time on my hair, you know. <laughs> we all know. <laughs> but anyway, but make sure that the person you're fixing yourself up for is your spouse. Wives, let me tell you, don't be fixing yourself up and you're trying to make yourself look so pretty, but in your mind you're thinking of somebody else. There's something very wrong there. Y'all hear me? When you're fixing yourself up, you should be thinking about what your husband likes. To me, that's an adulterous type of spirit that's trying to seduce your life right there. That you're thinking in your mind about somebody else while you're fixing yourself up. What will he think about me? You've already got something in your mind adulterous right there. The Bible speaks of our human sexuality in terms of waters. The book of Proverbs refers to a cistern, a well, and a fountain. 
And it says this, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let the fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of water in the streets. Let them be your own, and not strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. And I'm going to add this, in Hebrews 13.4 it says, Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage band are defiled, and God will judge the sexually impure. So here's how God talks about human sexuality in the Bible, okay? Somebody that is unmarried, that's a virgin, a young woman, she's called a cistern in the Bible, an untapped well. A cistern. A cistern is closed over, it's an untapped well, okay? The Bible depicts the virgin as a cistern. Her pure waters are sealed until the day of her marriage. When she marries a man who has committed his life to her, she allows him to uncover her well and drink of her waters. Once a virgin marries and becomes sexually active with her husband, she is considered a well in the Bible. So here's the married woman, a well of refreshing for her husband. A married woman, like a well, is a deep cistern that is continually filled with refreshing water. She takes pleasure in the intimacy with her husband. In fact, this is what she enjoys the most in in her relationship with her husband, the intimacy, the sweetness, and the kindness that he shows her. Thus, when the scriptures refer to drinking waters out of your own cistern, out of your own well, it's talking about having sexual relations with your own wife and not somebody else. The married man is referred to in the Bible as the fountain. A man has a strong sex drive, much like the fountain, is a stream of water driven by an internal force. When he is sexually active with his wife, he enjoys the release of the strong sex drive that God has put within him. When both partners in marriage are allowed to flow together within the relationship as God designed it, their sexual union brings both the man and the woman satisfaction and ecstasy. Both are refreshed, renewed, and strengthened, and reassured in their love for one another. If, however, the marriage bed is forsaken for whatever reason, both are at risk. I didn't know if people knew this, but the Bible says to not withhold sex from your spouse to both partners, except for a time for fasting, but come together quickly. Let me keep reading because I think I have that in the notes anyway. So the man is sometimes at greatest risk because the very strong force, that sexual drive, And he needs that relationship with his wife. The woman, though, is at risk when her spouse withholds intimacy and the gentle caring she needs. See, the husbands, you need to spend time with your wife. The wife needs to know that you you love her and that you want to spend time with her. And this is a need that's in her life. How many times have we heard stories or seen where a woman, you know, had a husband that was always working all the time? And she didn't receive the time and the affection that she wanted. Next news you know, somebody else starts showing that to her. And then some kind of an affair happens. This is why, and here it is, I believe, this is why the Apostle Paul warns Christian couples because of immoralities out there. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband fulfill his duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another. And this is talking about sexual relations. How many times have we heard stories of people that have split up and and there's been affairs and different things, and they say, well, you know, he or she wouldn't have sex with me. The Bible says to not withhold sex from one another in marriage, but to love each other, show affection, spend time together. Stop depriving one another. He said this, except by agreement for a time that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again, lest Satan tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right, I'm going to start closing this out. But I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to talk about this today. Let me know the Bible, will, Bible talks about every subject of life. If you're going to preach the whole Bible, you're going to preach about sex sometimes. 
and about finances sometimes and about all kinds of other things you may not want to preach about. But that's just the way it is. But this is, I felt this was both a warning down the road. There was going to be some wisdom God was going to give right now for people. But also, I feel like God's wanting to really cleanse some waters in people's lives. Or maybe in the past, your waters have been polluted. Maybe through pornography, maybe through sex outside of marriage or whatever. You've polluted your waters in life and God's wanting to cleanse that out. All right, so let me just start reading through this. Stolen waters. Stolen waters is sex outside of marriage. Long before there was any medical knowledge about venereal diseases or spiritual laws of transference, the Bible perfectly describes the symptoms of sexual sin. And this is the way it describes it, okay? In Proverbs 23, 27, it says, A prostitute is a deep ditch. A strange woman, a narrow pit. Now, this is this is interesting because it describes, you know, when you're dealing with a well, people drink from a well and they're not going to get sick. Because a well, a well has clean water. You hear what I'm saying? You drink from a well, you're not going to get sick. But you go outside and you take your cup in some ditch with water in it that's been there for a couple of weeks and you drink that water, you're going to get sick. And so God describes this that a prostitute, and let's not just say prostitute, but let's just say a loose woman that sleeps around, is a deep ditch and a strange woman a narrow pit. Now a deep ditch and a narrow pit are not exactly sweet metaphors for purity and refreshment and sexual activity. The water in a ditch is diseased water. And a water in a narrow pit is contaminated and polluted. The book of Proverbs also likens sex with a prostitute to stolen waters. They don't belong to you. And it talks about this, the woman of folly, talking about the loose woman that sleeps around, is boisterous, she's naive, knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight, who are trying to live right, is what it's saying. Whoever she's calling out, whoever's naive, let him turn in here. To him who lacks understanding, she says this, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know. So you get this picture of this guy just trying to live right, going down, and there's this temptress, this woman up there, saying, Come lie with me. Stolen water is sweet. Things done in secret will be fun. And she's calling out to him. She's trying to seduce him and pull him away. And here he is trying to live right and do right. But he does not know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of hell. In other words, sex with a prostitute or a loose woman or any adulteress is like partaking in impure, polluted, disease-filled water that will bring sickness and death spiritually and naturally because it's defiling your spirit, your soul, and your body. <clears throat> if Sandy was here, she'd be amen to me. Where y'all at? Come on now. <laughs> God said that a pure woman is a well, but a prostitute or a loose woman is a deep ditch and adulterous and narrow pit. God planned, for, uh, God planned for women to be only pure cisterns and refreshing wells. He ordained for every man to be a pure fountain dedicated totally to one well for life. He created the reproductive organs of mankind and set certain laws into motion to govern our relationships. If we deviate from his ordained plan, the way God made it, we reap automatic built-in consequences. What that means is this. If you decide tomorrow, I am going to rebel against gravity. I'm going to climb up to a high building and I'm going to leap off because I am rebelling against gravity. Now I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're going to hit the ground and you're going to be hurt. God has built in consequences. He set things in motion. When people get into sexual sin, they don't realize what they're doing, but they're partaking of diseased waters spiritually. They're defiling themselves, and there's built in consequences that they're going to reap in their physical body, in their soul, and they're going to reap spiritually the consequences. God does not lean over his throne looking at every single person saying, Aha, I caught you. He's not doing that. And I gave this example about gravity. 
But God has set things in motion. And so some people may say, you know, what I do sexually is my business. It's nobody else's business, but they forget the scripture in Proverbs 5.21 that says, The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. So here's what I want to close with these two things. The cleansing streams in your life. Begin to pray about this. Pray that if there's been things in your spirit or soul, in your life, that you feel maybe have been polluted waters of the past, that God began to purify these waters. And also, here's the five categories, if you will, that God uses these five things to really deeply consecrate God's, His people. Number one is obviously the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. Also, the washing of water, talking about water baptism. The anointing with oil. But here's the other one, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit is also described as rivers? And the Holy Spirit will begin to wash through your life and He'll begin to cleanse those deep places and wash out all that old polluted. Can't you just see in some people's lives it's like diseased waters, but the Holy Spirit begins to wash through them and flush out all that old polluted waters and bring in life. His glory fire will burn out of you what needs to go. And also, the fifth category is the ministry of holy angels. <coughs> Don't ever um, take lightly this or belittle this, because Jesus, after he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, remember, in the wilderness, and he was hungry, and he faced the devil like that on three different occasions. After all that happened, Jesus, the Bible says that angels came to minister to Jesus. And if Jesus, being the Son of God, needed the ministry of angels, I'm pretty sure that me and you also, at times, need the ministry of angels. And they do minister to God's people. They really do. So here's what I want to close with is this, just a warning. But those of you that feel like you want God to use you, I'm going to use this as far as like a, a, a woman that's a temptress. But let me just tell you that also... Women fall into sexual sins, and there are men out there that will try to lure them in a relationship with them too, okay? So let me give you this. You need to guard your mind, and you need to guard your eyes, and you need to be careful where you're at and what you're doing. Proverbs 7.23, it says, An arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to a snare, so does his... So he does not know that it will cost him his life. When, when somebody is having illicit sexual relations with a woman that's not their wife, okay? They're having illicit sexual, sexual relations that's against God's word. The Bible says a dart shoots through the liver. This is something that begins to overtake their health. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14... It says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony with Christ and Belial? Belial is lawlessness. And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They'll be, be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't that awesome that God says that I want to dwell with them? I want to walk among them. It's so humbling that we're just little specks in the universe. Think about it. But he loves us and he wants to walk among us. Second Timothy 2.22 Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels but also vessels of wood and earthenware. Some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore if anyone cleanses himself from these things he will be a vessel of honor sanctified, useful to the master, prepare for every good work. Now flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a vessel of honor. I want God to so deeply consecrate my life, I can be useful for him. 
I don't want to be like those that he has to sit over here and say, I can't use you. Because you're still so defiled by things. First Corinthians 6.16, Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So then, should I take the members of Christ, speaking of my body, okay, your body, and make them members with a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. So a man of God must go out of his way. I'm reading now just some things I wrote here. To avoid the temptations of a loose woman. Remember me reading in Proverbs, a guy is just minding his own business, walking down the street, but there's somebody over there calling out to him, calling out to him, saying, hey, hey, come lay with me, trying to seduce him, trying to get him in bed. They pose such a danger to a man's holy walk with God that the Bible devotes many verses to warn us about a dangerous, the dangerous ways of an evil woman. A loose woman is a prostitute, an adulteress, or any other woman who um, will not make good wife material. Not every girl out there is going to make a good wife. She may be beautiful in the looks department, but that doesn't mean she'll make a good wife or mother. She may be built just like your fantasy wants her to be built physically, but that what about her character? She could lead you straight to hell. Cities like New Orleans and other pleasure cities have fallen under tremendous demonic influence because of the seductive wiles of loose women and unbridled sexual desires of men. Look at Mardi Gras. When you choose a wife, you need to examine the spirit, then the soul, then the body. Let me explain that for a moment. When you're choosing somebody to marry, you, the first thing you need to look at is their spiritual life. That's number one. Then you need to look at the soul area, their personality, and can you get along with this person. The last thing on the list is the physical looks. But see, the world does the opposite. It's all about the physical looks. It's a little bit about if I'm going to get along with them. And it has nothing to do with anything spiritual. And therefore, you have huge divorce rates out there. So the book of Proverbs says, Behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot, cunning of heart. She's boisterous and rebellious. Look at this. Her feet do not remain at home. Some things I've seen in the ministry, I'm just putting this out there. But women that call themselves Christians, but they're always carousing around outside the home, doing other things. They're out clubbing with their friends and stuff like that. That's not a godly virtuous trait. A godly virtuous trait in a woman is she's busy about the home, taking care of her husband, the home, their marriage, her kids. And that's where she wants to be. Her heart is not out dancing in clubs on Friday and Saturday night with other men or whatever. Our hearts at home with her family. But it says she's now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. She seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face she says to him, I, will, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. So she's talking spiritual here. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I found you. I have spread my couch with coverings and colored linens of Egypt. It sounds so goofy to us today, don't it? But, you know, I guess it's appealing back then. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until the morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For the man, for she's saying this, her husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. So this is the picture the Bible paints of a loose woman that's like a seductress. Okay, So here we can read this, and this will give you an idea in more modern terminology. All right, number one, a loose woman will catch a man's eye by dressing seductively. 
Carefully exposing parts of her body with low-cut blouses and seductive skirts, she walks and moves in overtly sexual ways. She's trying to get sexual attention. Obviously, as I'm reading this, without me even having to say it, every Christian should know the exact opposite is what Jesus wants, okay? So God's wanting women to dress modestly. And nowadays, let me just say, that things have gotten pretty weird among Christians in this area. Okay, there's not a lot of modesty anymore. A loose woman shocks a man by talking about intimacy without inhibition. Verse 13 of Proverbs chapter 7 describes a bold woman. She caught a man and kissed him passionately with lips that were burning with lust. She shocked him by talking about taboo subjects such as her ability to make love and her seductive words set his hormones on fire. So she's acting in a way now to try to get him aroused toward her. Number three, a loose woman reassures a man saying God put us together. Now, here's the thing. If he's a Christian, now she's going to begin to try to somehow make this spiritual. There's nothing spiritual about it, but she's going to try to make it spiritual somehow to play on his conscience to make him feel like that this is okay with God. Many men of God have fallen into sexual sin right in the church building after agreeing to counsel a woman alone in his office because these women said something like this, God told me I have to come to you right away. You're the only one that can help me with this problem. And gets them in precarious situations. She bragged that she had just paid her debt for sin and she had, she had just been to church on that day. Number four. A loose woman tempts a man with stories about how sexy her bed looks and how her room smells. And she goes to describe in vivid detail how great it is going to be to make love to her. Number five, a loose woman uses words of flattery and invitation to secure what she wants once she has painted a picture of desire and inflamed a man's sexual desire. And she says, come let let us make love till morning. With her enticing words, she causes him to yield with flattering of her lips she forced him and finally a loose woman tells a man we won't get caught because my husband's not at home but there are also men out there that prey on women there's very few things that have made me more angry as a pastor than this one I've seen those type of guys I run them off and it it really upsets me and I remember even when Brianna was growing up, there was a couple guys I ran off. They were scared to death of me, man. But I wasn't, Brianna laughs about it now, but I wasn't going to put up with it. And I won't put up with it as a pastor. I'm sure you guys are in agreement with it, but either you are or not, it's still the same. But here's the thing. If there's a guy coming in here that's going to try to get women in bed, he's out. He's out. An evil woman views sex as a game of power. She's a Jezebel. You're dealing with a Jezebel spirit here, my friend. A Jezebel spirit. Strong. She's driven by a demonic genius to hunt for susceptible men of power and prestige to bend them to her will. She is especially attracted to men of great visibility, such as maybe preachers or politicians or well-known businessmen, wealthy men, powerful men. Such a woman will actually plot and strategize ways to seduce that man. She might say, I bet he'll be mine if I build him up and flatter him just right. He doesn't look like he's too happy at home. Anyone can become a target of a loose woman. The boss at work, the manager, the evangelist, the pastor, the politician, the Sunday school teacher. If a man falls into her trap, she destroys his very soul. Look at Proverbs 6.32. The one who commits adultery with the woman is lacking sin, sense. He would destroy himself. He who would destroy himself does it. Any man who commits adultery destroys his mind, his emotions, his body, his reputation. He'll never again be considered an honorable man once this indiscretion is revealed. And it will be. Satan doesn't, if Satan doesn't reveal it with the hope of destroying it, It turns a pure relationship into a polluted one. There is more hope for a thief than an adulterer because a thief can pay back sevenfold what he's stolen, but an adulterer can never pay back what he stole. 
Be on your guard in revival. Remember David and Bathsheba. Keep your passions harnessed. And this is what I find interesting. When Jesus, you remember we talked about the well. A wife is, is supposed to be a refreshing well to her husband. The husband is a fountain. It's interesting to me that when Jesus met the woman at the well, what did he talk, about, what did he talk to this woman at the well about? The sexual indiscretions of her life. And he said to her, I have water that I can give you, living water that you'll never thirst again. And what he's saying here is that your, your well, because of sexual immorality in your life, has been polluted. But I can give you the waters of the Holy Spirit that can come in and wash out that old pollution out of your life. And you'll never be thirsty again. Because the Holy Spirit will satisfy you. All right. Let's go ahead tonight. I'm a, let me pray and then we'll shut down recordings. But those that, that are um, listening to this, those that are here, those that are listening to this, I want you just to pray this with me. Just say this out loud. Jesus, I ask forgiveness in my life where there's been sexual immorality, idolatry in the occult, or any bloodshed, whether in my life or my ancestry, where there's been defilement, I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse this out of me. That there can be pure waters in my life again. And I'll be sanctified unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I'm going to pray with people tonight, but I encourage people to really pray that through. Let the Lord cleanse this stuff out of you. Really wash this pollution out. Because once you become a Christian, Jesus paid for it. But just because the penalty of sin is forgiven doesn't mean the power that that sin had over your life has been totally broken. How many Christians have you known that still struggle with things? The Lord is wanting to break the power of that thing. He's wanting to so cleanse you on the inside to where nothing can get a hook in you again. You know, used to, when I first got saved, I was living in all kinds of sin. I mean, it was... And I remember if I was around something like a, a beer or a cigarette or whatever else, it really affected me when I was a baby Christian. Now it repulses me. <laughs> but God will so cleanse that stuff out of you to where the very things that used to be such a temptation now don't have a hook in you. Does that make sense? It doesn't have a power over you. That you may see it, but it, you don't feel a draw to it. You just feel kind of like, oh, and just walk off away from it, you know. God's wanting to do that type of cleansing. A deep work. So I want, Brother Zach, if you could play that iPod. I want to just pray for people tonight.